Nixon was trying to, in a sense, I think, create his own CIA. He did not want to be dependent on a CIA that he mistrusted. He mistrusted. Paranoia was very deep in his psychology. It was in everybody's psychology in the 1970s. And it was very deep in Washington. You know, the, the Pentagon didn't trust what Nixon was doing on on Vietnam, so they spied on him. And then Nixon uh, set up his own spies to spy on whoever was spying on him, and that led to his downfall because uh, it involved the CIA, and I'm absolutely convinced that when uh, his plumbers went out and burgled uh, Daniel Ellsberg's psychiatrist's office, it was authorized by Ehrlichman, Ehrlichman in the White House. It wasn't Ehrlichman's idea. He signed off on it, provided that there was no, it was not traceable. Well, the first thing they do when they get out there, they start taking photographs. They take photographs of the nameplate on the door so we know it's a psychiatrist's office. They take, I think, even photographs of the Ellsberg file, send all these files to the CIA to be developed. And now the CIA has what you might call dirt on Nixon. And my first thought about Watergate, which I now think was too, too shallow, was that this was a kind of feud for the upper hand between Nixon, who wants his own CIA. And we do know that Howard Hunt, a CIA guy uh, working for a while with the White House, was sent down to Miami to round up old Cubans from the Bay of Pigs era, CIA Cubans, but not to revive the CIA's people, but to recruit them to not work for the CIA at all and work instead for a new Nixon agency. And this is the era when the DEA, the Drug Enforcement Agency, was created and... Uh, I think one of uh, Edward J. Epstein's better books is uh, Agency of Fear, is that the title? Um, about the creation of the DEA and how immediately it got uh, that whole early stage of it, which you might call the Nixon stage, ended because it got so penetrated by people close to organized crime that they had to really start fresh. I think the starting fresh had to do with the fact that Nixon was on the way out. and uh, But so many of the people uh, that were key in the Watergate uh, episode from the White House side were people like Eagle Krogh, who were actually working on drugs and working on getting a new agency. They had to get a new agency, by the way, because... First of all, the old FBN was so corrupted. It, it's, it, it's just impossible to do this sort of thing the way they do it and not get corrupted because you recruit informants, but if you want them to inform, they have to be around, so you have to tolerate their drug trafficking. And uh, this ends up with payoffs to the people. The FBN went out actually... I think under Johnson, and they had a few years of the BNDD, the Bureau of Narcotics and Dangerous Drugs, but uh, that was a period of confusion. 
and Nixon wanted to impose a kind of clarity, uh, a vigorous drug agency with a big budget fighting a war on drugs that would report to him and would be used by him for other purposes. And that, in turn, got defanged, I think, partly because of Watergate. Well, chiefly, well, yes, because of Watergate. And we ended up with what we have now fighting a useless, unwinnable war of drugs that costs, has cost billions and is probably added to the drug uh, use in America rather than diminished it. It's, it's, it's a very sad story, but that's not our story today. Really, uh, it, it gets into these... It, get, it continues to this day, obviously, and through Reagan it reaches a kind of pitch, but then Afghanistan, opium, and so on is, yeah. is a recurring theme. I have a question about Nixon and the, the Far East lobby because he launches this war on drugs, but he had been kind of a beneficiary and a, and a, some, a booster for the Far East lobby, uh, the, you know, the China lobby, which then sort of expands into South Korea and even takes it has Japanese elements in it as well. This, so you, you come to call it the Far East lobby, and that makes sense to me. But Nixon had these ties to them going way back, and yet he launches the war on drugs, which does disrupt some of his big, some of his patrons. How do you see the Far East lobby impacting what the way Watergate unfolded or, or well, Nixon's first presidency? Of all, let's look a bit at that lobby. It's called the China lobby in the fifties, and there was a big article about it in a magazine, quite a good magazine then called The Reporter, uh, and I think it's relevant that the editor-publisher of The Reporter was a man called Philip Horton, who had come out of the CIA. He'd been the CIA station chief in Paris, I think the first ever CIA station chief in Paris, and he left to run The Reporter, which exposed the China lobby, and I think this was a, an authentic reformist move to, there was a, a great deal of Chinese gold, ironically, a lot of it gold that America had given to Chiang Kai-shek to stave up the yuan, but it didn't stave up the yuan, it staved up Chiang Kai-shek and was used by T.V. Sung to lobby in, uh, in Washington. T.V. Sung had so much, I don't know the sources of his wealth, but I do know that some big magazine, Time, or I forget which one, said at that time he was the richest man in the world. And uh, he was uh, definitely, the Chinese nationalists were supporting themselves by their relationship to the, to the drug trade inside China. That was just an excerpt from the American Exception podcast. To hear the whole episode, as well as archived and new episodes, please subscribe to the American Exception podcast at Patreon. There's a link in the show notes, or you can just go to patreon.com slash American Exception. Subscribe and you can join us as we illuminate the dark side of the U.S. empire. 